0: To change, change the picture, change the picture. Hello and welcome to Behind the Music. I live, I back. These three special shows explores the art versus oppression section in the Human Rights Watch Film Festival currently taking place in London. little bit by bit, you're playing your part, you're playing our part, so when you put all these efforts together, I can't give up hope. Each special looks at how music can be a major force for human rights and social change. In this show, we Will looks at Beats of the Antonov.
1: Hello, I'm Will Roper. In the last Behind the Music special, we spoke with al Sara about the music of the acclaimed documentary Beats of the Antonov, hearing of her stories from the movie and samples of the yet-to-be-released soundtrack featuring field recordings from the Blue Nile and Nuba Mountains of Sudan. Over the weekend, we were lucky enough to have the film's director, Hajuj Kuka, come into the SOAS radio studio, as he was visiting London for the film's screening as part of the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. <laughs> In this interview, Hajoj tells us more about the ideas behind the film, how it was made, and how music became the focus of a film that started out about conflict. Hadjuj, hey, it's lovely, lovely to have you here. Welcome yeah. to Soas Radio. Thank you, thank you. You're here for the Human Rights Watch Film Festival, showcasing your, your movie, Beats of the Antoinette.
0: Yeah, this is the London premiere of the film, and I'm excited to be here, mm-hmm. excited to be in London. Can you explain a bit about the movie? Well, the movie is about music and war. And um, I, had, I had other movies I made, and I, most of my films are about Sudan, and I'm from Sudan. And normally, they're heavy. And if you come to me and we're all hanging out... And we want to watch a film, I'll never let you watch my films. So I wanted to create a film that everybody wanted to watch. And everybody would have fun watching and at the same time understand what's happening. So music is is that medium that allows you to go into something deep at a human level. So people can understand it. People who are not into, who don't really care about the politics of the things, whatever, can actually get really to know the people who the conflict is, and music, the way it is, it tells the story. So now I'm using music to tell the story. And it went way beyond what I expected. Mm. And, and you have my film.
1: Yeah, and you get, well, you get that just from the title, Beats of the Antonov. It's yeah.
0: And, and the title, so the Antonov is this cargo plane. It's a Russian cargo plane that should have nothing to do with war. Mm. But the Sudanese government is using the cargo plane to, to drop these barrel bombs that actually are very, they're not accurate at all. So what happens with these bombs, they just fall randomly on citizens, on whoever, and just explode. So you have these beats, which is the sound of the bombs, Mm. which is death, but then beats is also music and life. Mm. So now you have the contrast.
1: Mm. Yeah, you get a real, from your film, a real sense of life going on it's not what one-dimensional look at like victims of a war it's like
0: exactly it's not the one narrative of victims in africa it's Mm -hmm. uh, a celebration of life of what human beings do in time of any time they celebrate and they live Mm -hmm. and in the film is obvious these people living in the refugee camps are living and they're celebrating live and they're very alive
1: and can you tell us a bit about the area, so it's set in the Blue Nile and the Nuba Mountains. Like, what's what was the what's the importance of that? And what's going on there, if you can...
0: So, in 2011, Sudan split into two countries after a very long civil war mm. that cost a lot of lives, a lot of refugees, all that, a lot of human suffering. And after the separation, the new war started. Like, actually, it was a few months before the celebration was actually finished. So, in the... June 6th of 2011, a new war started in Nuba Mountains. Three months later, Blue Nile joined. So there's this new war that's starting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we have like thousands and thousands, I think uh, almost a million refugees because of that war. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of casualties. The war has been going on since then. And the film started by me trying to go cover the human atrocities that is happening in in these areas, in this new war that's in, in the Sudan now, that's in the north. So it's the north Sudan.
1: But it's, it's, it has, has had a history of of being, a, it seemed a little bit, history of being in between these two, but also being as a place of refuge for for people.
0: Yeah, in the previous war, the people in the Nuba Mountains fought with the people who are now in the new country, South Sudan. So they were part of the rebel group that was called the SPLA. So they fought with them. So they used to be the middle ground, the place where a lot of the war happened. So they are, they're in war, if you want to say. And... Um, after the se- se- uh, separation of the two countries, SPLA still was very strong in Nuba Mountains and Blue Nile. The governor from the Nuba, uh, Blue Nile was uh, SPLA, and the Nuba Mountain area, which is South Kordofan state, had an election that a lot a lot of people say was unfair. And then what happened was the government, after the separation, they tried to disarm the SPLA, the remaining party. Uh, in Nuba. And when the soldiers refused to to disarm, the war started and we're still
1: going on with the war. And that's still, yeah, still going on.
0: It's still going on and and the rebels control a big area Mm -hmm. and that's the area where I'm living right now. I'm living in their capital city, it's called Kauda. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, I have more freedom there to work as a filmmaker, to do whatever I want to do. There's no national security, there's no censorship. So I'm able to actually create work that I normally wouldn't be able to do if I'm in Khartoum. That's why you don't hear about filmmakers coming out of Khartoum. But now you're finding a filmmaker coming out of the rebel areas, mm. which is strange. But yeah, how,
1: how long have you? Are you originally from <laughs> this area? Or no,
0: Khartoum? I'm I'm originally from north of Khartoum. So I'm originally from the Nubian area, and I chose to be living in the Nuba Mountains. So we're related. Um because of I have the freedom to work.
1: You've got that artistic freedom yes. to do that. Yes. You've got an idea from real idea from the film, uh, that, that in a way it was about Sudanese identity and that this, this war is from from that idea. To be Sudanese now, for some, maybe the more dominant, doesn't include the the rich multiculturalism that is there. Exactly. Which and I used think used to be it's like it's strength and seen as it's strength.
0: Yeah, it, it, so to me, the core reason for the war, and this is what the film actually is about, mm. is identity. So we have a central government that's trying to institute an Arabic Islamic identity on everybody. Mm. <clears throat> now, if you look at the people, and then if you see my film, you, you quickly you'd realize these these are Africans. The music is African. The dance is African. The food is African. So all these people who actually are not Arabs. So. They're not part of this national identity. So they're not part of the Arabic Islamic national identity. So they've, they become second-class citizens and third-class citizens. And they never see themselves in this government or in this country. And then this is the issue. And this is the reason why there was the first civil war that resulted in the country splitting. And this is the reason why now there's two civil wars, one in North Sudan and one in South Sudan. So what my film proposes is, We have to solve this issue before we go forward. We cannot just have a political come and be like, this is a political issue, just uh, different parties coming together, having a peace agreement and splitting power. That doesn't work. We need to solve the core issue. We need to to create a Sudanese national identity on the government institutionalized side that is peaceful and that can cover all of Sudan. So Mm. any Sudanese person can feel I'm part of this identity.
1: So, can you tell us a bit about how how this film started? So, you went, you were filming or reporting in in the area about the about the conflict. So, is that right? so
0: I went to report and cover the conflict. So, okay. in the refugee camps and in the war zones, and I was doing that. I was like, went there, talked to the refugees, talked about how the bad situation is, the health situation, the bombings, how how many people died, and all that. And all that happened. This, mm. The situation is really bad. Nutrition is really bad. Um, it's a very, very bad situation. But then after one day, after we like hang out and and we finished our work, some of our guides they were youth, so they came to me and they're like, oh, you want to hang out? And I was like, eh, it's a refugee camp. Uh, oh yeah, let's go. What do you want to do? So I, I heard some music from us from a little bit far. It, f- it felt like a wedding, so I was like, oh, let's go see. if a wedding. It's gonna be boring. So we will go there. And it was a <laughs> wedding, and they were singing some girl music and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then he's like, oh, let's go. And then we walk and we go to this place that was a school in the morning. And then I saw there's two different bands. And the bands are like battling. Like there's one band that would play music. And then people would go there and dance. And then the other band would play music. And then if it's better, people would go there and dance. And it was all this like youth and there's all this dating happening and stuff. And you just like, what is happening here? And then he's like, oh, okay, let's go. And then we go somewhere else. And then there was like this... Um, Sufi remembrance music being played uh-huh. with the drums and stuff. And then going back, because I had to go to sleep because I have to wake up early to cover the atrocities. <laughs> going back, I could listen, I could hear music going on in other directions of the camp. And then I slept and the music kept going on until 5 a.m. What happened was, uh, I went to one of the bands that I heard at night, shot just shot them playing. And then I took the music to Alsara and being like, oh yeah, I might be crazy, uh, there's this music I'm going to let you listen. This guy made his own instrument and then used this old radio as an amplifier and the sound is electronic and I actually love it more than any Sudanese music I ever heard. <laughs> so can can you just listen to this and tell me if it's any good? She heard it and she was like, "Whoa, this is great." I was like, "All right, cool. I'm making a documentary about this."
1: And then how did you go about filming in this area? That that is it's a dangerous area. It's something you're used to from from your reporting your previous.
0: No, no. The or... first time I experienced being bombed at was there. The first time I experienced jet planes flying over my head, dropping bombs and antinovs dropping bombs and war zones and soldiers actually using their guns and clashing coves shooting all over was was during this war and recently. So it's, it's a weird experience because it's not like you're used to it, but because you're with everybody else, you're with pregnant women, you're with uh, children, you're, you're with other people. So you're all getting bombed at the same time. So it's a communal experience. So somehow you just, everybody looks out for everybody. And at the moment when you're getting bombed, you're not really just thinking about yourself. You're just thinking about, get down. If there's a kid, you're like, hey, jump, jump, jump in the foxhole stuff. Like it's And you all come out and you're all like checking up for each other and stuff. So it, it's weird because it doesn't take courage once you're there. The courage is just to go. But once you're there, you're just you're just dealing. You're not courageous or anything. Uh, I do do a few things that are weirder than other folks because everybody jumps and runs away while I have to like stand still and make sure the camera gets the right shot and stuff. So some of the stuff people think I'm crazy, which is, you know, I only did it for a couple times until I got the shots I needed. Like I needed one, I needed like, I needed, I needed a good fighter jet shot. So I had to like be out there and taking that shot. So I got my few good shots, and then I stopped doing
1: it. To make this film, how long how long did the, the process take from this idea? Take it to Al and saying, okay, let's let's do this movie to to the end.
0: So it was what? a two years process that was really sped up in the end. So it was two years off You started in two thousand twelve? Two thousand twelve. So two thousand twelve ended in two thousand fourteen. I was editing until the last minute, or actually beyond the last minute. And um, yeah, basically basically the film was uh, done throughout that period.
1: So what were the, the most difficult things to, to deal with whilst you were doing this filming?
0: Travel. Travel is always the hardest thing. To get there, uh, you go to... If to if today, from London, you want to get to where I was living in Cowda. Mm. So you have to fly from here to Nairobi, from Nairobi to Juba. From Juba, take a WFP, UN plane, that you have to pay for because you're not from the UN, mm. and go to the refugee camp. From the refugee camp, you have to find a car that drives you for eight hours mm. into the city, the okay. rebel held city. And if you're there, there's still another six hours you can drive north. There's a few hours you can drive east, west. So traveling to the different areas to cover this thing was very expensive because a gallon of gas over there is like 60 pounds or something. Mm. So it's very expensive. Mm. So basically, to travel, you have to have a lot of money and a very good reason. Mm. So that was the hardest thing. Uh, there was a lot of walking. There's a lot of like travel. But then what I did was actually started living there. So the last time I went, I was living there for five to six months before I went out. And then the only reason I left was because of the uh, I had to uh, for the festival tour of the film. And I'm actually back there, so I'm living back there now.
1: Okay, so you'll be yeah. going, going back there on Monday? Oh, I wish, I wish,
0: I wish. No, but the film festival tour was going to take another couple of months. So okay. I'm going to be back in July, hopefully before the rainy season, and hopefully work on my next project.
1: Any ideas of what that's going to be?
0: Well, the idea I have is a romantic comedy.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I started this uh, drama group. So was, the idea is this romantic comedy set in the war zone. And I don't know if that's going to be good or bad with the drama groups all from there. We started it. We're practicing. So uh, let's see.
1: Let's Sounds see. Sounds exciting. Yeah. yeah
0: it's it's going to be a lot of music, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there is in the movie. There are where well, you talk to lots of lots of different people. And uh, there were particular characters like like Joda who, who struck who sort of stuck out for me. Yeah. Who are the, 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 the most interesting people you you met? Some 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 characters you might have met.
0: So Joda definitely was the person why the film was made. And it's just because it's a person who can communicate better using music than even words. Like, Mm. he's amazing. And you can just, when somebody's an artist, you're like, man, this guy's an artist. You can take him from here, throw him in London, throw him in New York, throw him in Berlin. he'll, He'll survive. He'll be fine. And I wish, I'm hoping somebody would be able to get Jordan out to travel and sing somewhere else. Mm. Amazing guy. So other than Joda, I think Ibrahim Khater. He's the, the soldier who is, normally I'm scared of having a soldier in my film. But he was he was the rebel, the Chi Guevara, I guess, of Sudan. He's, the, he's a rebel who's, who's not really fighting. He's just teaching people about political rights and, and human rights and stuff. And his idea... Is and he says it in the film, and it's the only reason I was able to even use him, was he said if tomorrow we gain we be, we control the country, then we might become tyrants ourselves because we have guns, mm. so what we need is is people who know their rights, so they would not allow us to do that, mm. and I like that idea a lot. Uh, so he's one of the characters that stood out, and then there was there was Al of course, there's there's that there's one lady that just burns fire. She's, she was singing and then she was wearing orange and then she was just, she went crazy. Like, and I love it when, when it's not the person you're expecting. It's not like she spoke better than if somebody came from university, like she's a woman who's, this is happening to her and she was singing in her own words, but the points she was raising and the passion she was saying, it was so strong that you just stand there and be like, okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Is that the lady that's like, look at these kids. This has got yeah. nothing to do with them. You're these people are asking them to, to go fight. Like, yeah. these are kids. Don't take. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the best. It was the best
0: argument against child soldiers I ever saw. Mm. And it's just like so pure and so human that. Because normally you talk about child soldiers and people are imagining, like, yeah, whatever. Like, they're, they're men. They can fight. Mm. And then this is what child soldiers are. It's this, this these kids. kids. It's a kid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wh- which parts of the movie are you most proud of? Um <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit it's tricky bit, one. Bit tricky, yeah. Yeah, or or moments maybe in the movie that you maybe that, like that moment that you feel like I'm so glad I got that.
0: Making of the instrument, mm-hmm. making of the instrument, Joda making the instrument because I feel like it explains a lot just by seeing a person making the instrument. Mm. That's a lot. I don't know. I mean, the war shots are yeah, yeah. exciting, but at the same time I made them in a way that they're not that um, they don't glorify war and that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a little exciting but it's also sad in that... Yeah, and then psh, was there anything about like,
1: it that like frustrated you? You wanted to get more of like that you feel like if you'd had a million pounds behind you or <laughs> you could do you could go back and do it again, you would have changed about it?
0: Uh not actually not the film itself, but what I really wished was throughout the film if I had an audio guy. The film's about music and always it's, it's good it's what I could do with a zoom and stuff and I did my best but I always wanted like I wanted an audio guy I wanted it to be like stronger big fluffy yeah fluffy mic yeah somebody who's like his ear is just so clean that uh-huh. somebody whispers somewhere they'll just make them quiet
1: yeah. <laughs> okay great and what, what are your hopes for the movie so it's, it's going around these documentary film festival you're doing this tour at the moment what's your what, what do you hope people to get from it when they see it
0: so first the documentary actually went f- way further than i thought mm. i was making this documentary initially started by for me then for sudanese people and then it expanded and then it went to toronto national film festival mm. it premiered there won the people choice award now it's in london going to geneva going to australia going to new york going to san francisco it's just like oh. blowing up at a, at a point like I, i'm not expecting it so i'm excited about the film and that's great what do you expect the film to do? It's a film that talks about a human tragedy that's happening today. Um, I just talked about Ibrahim Khater. I was there like a month ago. Yeah. I just came back. I went back and I came out again. So a, a month ago, Ibrahim Khater got... There was an Antonov bombing. He was just somewhere in somebody's house. And uh, it dropped a bomb. It killed a lady and Ibrahim Khater got hit in the arm. He's fine. Mm-hmm. He didn't die. But So this tragedy is still happening today. Mm-hmm. Like there's bombings, I'm sure, today, tomorrow. Like there's continuous bombing. So what do you expect to when people know about it? What can happen? And this is a question I don't know the answers for. But I know that one step is we need to know that this, hap- this is happening in Sudan, that government in Sudan should not be allowed to do this. Somehow they ha- people need to know, okay, the government of Sudan is doing this. What happens next? I'm not sure. Actually, I want to ask people, what can you do about it? Mm. Like I want to know, okay, you know this. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows the Sudanese government is committing all these atrocities. When will this end? And what, what can be done to them? I know that the real change happens from the people in, inside. Sudanese people need to make the change. But at the same time, I know that they could be supported. And that's what we're looking for. Like, what is the right support? And we notice a lot in the world through activism and whatnot that some activists, they, they might end up in jail and whatnot. But then when, when people outside hear about it and then take to the street or write to their... Congresswoman, or I don't know, whatever, parliament, then things change. Because mm. all these dictatorships are actually have money outside or whatever. So they, change can happen from some help from that side, support.
1: What about the music in the couch Because, like, speaking with side, it's so much and it's so vibrant, you know, this real love of, of life, just like great participants. <laughs> one thing that was like really uh, moving was that. Everyone's. In, it felt like lots of people are all involved. It's really participatory, you know? It's not just sitting, watching on a stage. You're a part of that.
0: Everybody's part of the music. Mm-hmm. Everybody jumps. Everybody sings. People, like, take instruments from each other and, and play it. It's like this thing that everybody... And when I was... I told Sarah, we were like, she was coming. And then I was her, okay, so we we're in Nairobi. I was like, when we go to this camp, it's a refugee camp. There's going to be more music than here. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to stay all night. You just can't. And then she thought I was over-exaggerating. He's just like, you know, he's talking it up. And then we go there and then we were never, like not even one night could we stay up all night listening to the music. And we couldn't, we just had to like listen to, we were randomly, nothing was set up. We were randomly going to a place. It's like, what? Okay, so now you're playing. Why are you playing? And then, is this a wedding? No, it's not.
1: Why are you guys playing? So why do you think there was so much music?
0: Um, There's a lot of theories. One of it I think is when you get, So close to your life taken away from you, you celebrate life more. And I think over there they're celebrating. They know the meaning of life and they feel the importance of life more than us. So when you're living in a place like London, where you assume I'm going to be alive tomorrow, I'm going to be alive the day after, then after a while you just you're not even you don't really notice life that much. But over there, I think because they were almost died and they get they get to that close enough Mm. that now there's this whole celebration that's going on. And then now it's playing a lot of roles. Like one of the roles that it's playing, you have this war against their own identity. So the best way to fight against this war on your identity is to use music and culture, because that way you just pass it on to the next generation so easily. Because they're they're just the kids are just happy to dance, happy to take this music, happy to play Nuba wrestling. So they're just taking it because it's fun, Mm. and it's passing on this your culture to the next generation easily. Mm. Um, Not that I'm saying that. Everybody realizes that that's what they're doing, but but some people do.
1: And it's getting passed through, well, learning from learning from each other how to do it, creating a lot of this music. But I remember Alsa was saying about how this music is a lot. Well, some music is passed around a lot on a cell phone. Ah, example. yeah, like um, and one of the tracks isn't it's the Captain Ab Absa Abbas. Abasa yeah. Um, which is a great track and, and she said Not a guy that she, that you guys met But heard a lot on these
0: So on these Captain tracks. Abbas is, is in this area called Kwalib And um, he's not recorded in Sudan One of the main places in Sudan To get recorded Is you go to the TV station And they record you So he normally sings After he drinks yeah. So he was like You know what If I I cannot sing if I don't drink And if I drink and I go there They're just going to say People from Kualib They're just drunk So I'm not going to record So he was never actually recorded Beyond a lot of it was the cell phone recordings or simple recordings or what. And that's what we have of him. And he's one of the most famous singers in that area or the most famous singer. So his, son- his songs, the
1: ones that have been recorded, have, have been passed around like the that. Yeah. Cell
0: phones. yeah. Yeah. Everybody listens to Captain Abbas in that area. Yeah. And he was never recorded in an official what setting. Does, what does he sing about? Uh, his, his songs are like a lot. Of, so this is a culture where you write a lot of songs. Yeah. And almost any time you perform your songs, you make them current. You're just always talking about the now. So some songs are about the bombings. Some songs are about some gossip that happened in town. Uh And that's the worst thing. If you do something wrong and and your name ends in a song and the song is actually catchy, you're done. And that happens. That happens often. And then there's some songs about the soldier that did a great job or... Or just this lady he's really into, mm-hmm. or just drinking, or just hanging out. Uh, in the rainy season, in the harvest season, there's some songs that are going to be about farming and whatnot. So it's it's very organic. Like, I don't even know. When I talked to Joda, for example, he said he performed, how many songs did you he perform? He's like, maybe 250. So he can just sit here and sing for like five hours. He'd be like, yeah. oh, I'll sing five hours,
1: five different, 20. And maybe make one up on a, about, yeah. about sitting around. <laughs> yeah to be in london what other music was being being passed around with other other music from around africa or the west or
0: yeah you, you can you know house some music nigerian yeah. music was the main music outside uh
1: surinese music that uh-huh. you'd hear there yeah mm-hmm. well what about actually rather than the music other cultural systems there Like there was uh there's some shots of the wrestling that goes on what can you tell us a bit about that
0: nuba wrestling
1: mm-hmm. is the oldest wrestling in the world
0: it's um, goes back to thousands and thousands of years, and it's uh, basically it's you have to see it. It's a derivative of what uh, wrestling is today, the uh, Olympic style wrestling. Mm. But it's very exciting because the moment you touch the ground, you're done. Sure. and the crowd is just like, when there's Nuba wrestling, there's this huge crowd. And everybody really cares about Nuba wrestling. Like the Nuba wrestlers get fed a certain way. Mm. They get to be known, everybody knows the Nuba wrestlers. So the best wrestler at the time, like people get special food for him and he's just supposed to train and just be in one place. And there's a whole ceremony about around him. So it's a big deal. And then uh, you come and you compete and then everybody, like everybody knows the guy, the, the top, uh few wrestlers and everybody's yeah. waiting for that so it's a bit it's a very uh important sports and then you find a lot of people kids playing it and getting like afterwards you find all kids like trying to uh, play it there's a lot of technique of course and strength like if you're the one throwing the guy it's okay but when you're on the floor it's like whoa yeah. that hurts
1: what about there's a part in the film where a lady has been insulted by mm. uh, a man from another another group and there's a, a ritual where both these groups come together to move on from that, which was very beautiful, I thought. And can you tell us a bit about how, how you found out about that and what, if, if that's a, co- a common thing? Or... Okay,
0: so, okay. First, in the film, this has a lot of meaning. The whole idea of mm. conflict. There was a conflict. There was a, guy, a lady, she was going. She got cursed by this young guy. And then what she did is she went to his, uh, his people, it was his older brother and she was like, Hey, there's a problem. We were walking, this this happened. So what the older brother did was talk to her, her, talked it out, and then he threw this party. And the party he brought food, whatnot, and people came, her people came, and I'm talking about a party that was like like a thousand people. So it was a big party. Mm-hmm. And when people came and they did all this music and dance and, and when they came, they came with all this clothing. They so they dressed him up. So everybody knows so, how- his this this beautiful hat and dressed him up so everybody knows like he's the main, he's important. And that brought the two people together. And I loved how that was how the conflict is like. What Mm -hmm. she said is she needed the apology. And once the apology happened and once they threw this big party and fed everybody, so they paid. They came and they didn't come empty-handed. They also came with presents, dressed him up, so they also paid. But all what they needed was that apology. And once you do that apology, and show you you really meant it by throwing this party, they would come and they will contribute too. Mm. So it's and now the families are together and they're friends and they know each other and now they're very close. So I love this for conflict resolution and how Sudan. Once we reach the problem, because it's a civil war, mm. we need to live with each other. So, to me, that was very important. Mm. The other thing that that showed for me was the reason we were attracted to this because we were looking for music, and we went to this place. I was like, "Wow, there's all these people, there's this party, and what's happening? Is this a wedding?" And they're like, "No, there's not a wedding. This gathering was because of and then told us the reason so it was also it was like music is at the core of everything that happens mm. and this is the this is the first time I've seen this as a reason for a
1: conflict resolution
0: music happening for the reason of conflict re- uh,
1: resolution This is the first time i've seen it yeah it's really powerful and fits into that
0: yeah it's that, just the, such... film, the
1: whole film huh yeah you see there are ways with by saying this is a problem and, but coming together and dealing with it and then being happy together and being happy together but also happy with the different parts together it's like realizing that okay you guys are from there you did we got beef with you for this We're from here we got this but let's come together and Quite simplistic say that, but like
0: no, no, but yeah, and I think the whole importance of partying together and just sharing that because they always say you're like if you share food with somebody you get closer, but this is sharing happiness. So you're sharing food and then you're sharing happiness. So next time when you see the person, it's like oh, I know him.
1: Yeah, and then and you conf- remember that you remember the happen. happiness that you yeah. shared. Remember the songs that you shared with each yeah. other. Ones? Yeah, the film isn't. It's not like one narrative going in through it. So it's not focusing on yourself or Al going through and interviewing different people. So you get an idea from it of, these, of lots of different snapshots, d- lots of different sounds, lots of different music. Why Was that a really conscious effort on your part?
0: Yes, yes. And it was it was a little struggle near the end because it's not character-driven film. And everybody nowadays seems to just want to watch character-driven films or think that that's what everybody wants to watch. So when I was doing the final editing phase, there was uh, this push. Mm. Um to try to make that conflict-driven war movie. And I didn't want that. I just mm-hmm. I just wanted to have the story is driven by the music and I wanted the music and the theme to be the main character. And I felt that, that was strong enough that people can sit throughout the whole film, enjoying the music and going through the music and going slowly through the idea where you start with the music and going, going through the idea and the main theme of identity slowly until the end. And I was very conscious of that and of the f- of the energy of the film, like mm-hmm. the music energy getting you over it. So I, I, I was very conscious of creating a film that's, one, easy to watch, fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I don't want you to just know a character. I just want you to know, to have in your head this image of music, this image of Sudan, this image of of the depth of it, and to think about identity and hopefully even your own identity. But. To create that so I wasn't looking for a main character that this is not the only way to create a story and I think somehow I created it and somehow it I mean, people are enjoying it so
1: yeah well yeah I've really enjoyed watching it and well i got a sense as well that there is that it's not it's not easy to just to paint uh, a narrative story you know it's just, and that's what I liked about the style of it it wasn't it was optimistic without saying there's that this is the happy ending you know what I mean and I love the music in it. But also, in, and that's partly why it's been so nice to talk to you and Alsara to find out more about about the situation. Can you see a future for the for the area? What what, what do you think is going to be, be happening in there?
0: So the way to solve this issue is for Sudanese people to find a way out. Mm-hmm. It's a Sudanese problem. We need a Sudanese solution. There are a lot of voices. There is, other than the armed resistance that you see a lot of in the film, there's there's civil society resistance. And I feel like the main solution is going to require a lot of discussion. And I think that's where this film falls under. Mm -hmm. This is a film that asks for people to discuss identity, asks for people to discuss the Sudanese problem from a more depth. Not from the shallow Arab versus African or rebels and government or religious. It just like goes into this is a complicated issue. It needs us to sit down and find a solution. So, do I, I'm optimistic right now because I've seen the voices, Sudanese voices that are against what's happening in this government, against this dictatorship are a lot now. A lot of the youth are coming out. There's all these protests that are going on. And there's this move to, to stop them. Right now, uh, the government is calling for these elections, and we're calling it blood elections. There's only really the government running. Uh, no real parties going on. So it's yeah. like, it's basically one of those dictatorship fake elections where the dictatorship is supposed to win 99% or whatever to show that they everybody loves them. But basically, only people who love them are actually going to go to even vote because the voting is just a waste of time. So almost everybody is just not, not like just boycotting the elections. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, if you want to find out more about Sudanese music or music from Nuba Mountains, maybe, where where can we find it? It's hard,
0: Ooh, harder. that's going to be hard. But
1: follow follow our our Facebook
0: page, uh-huh. Beats of the Antinove. Uh, we have the soundtrack coming out. Uh, it's going to be dope. al is working on it. And we're also going to do some remixes. So, that, I'm excited. I'm waiting for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's going to be great.
1: Good stuff. All right, well... I think that's all we have time for. Thank you so much, Hajus. Really pleasure uh, speaking with you. Our pleasure is mine. Thanks again to Hajus Kuka for coming in to talk to us about his wonderful documentary, Beats of the Antonov. Please don't forget to look at the trailer, and the links below to find out more about where you can see this incredible movie, and to check out the Human Rights Watch Film Festival website to see more. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Roper. And stay tuned for more Behind the Music specials.